let me ask you, do you move well, eat well, and sleep well? Do you feel that modern medicine is looking out for your best interest? Do you know how to take care of your body so you can stay pain-free and in the activities you love? Do you know what options you have? If not, that's a problem, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Trevor Folter, and welcome to the Green Bay Health Project Podcast. The Green Bay Health Project Podcast is sponsored by Movement Performance and Rehabilitation, where we help the athletes and active adults move better, perform better, stay pain-free, and in the sports and activities that they love. We do this by focusing on their movements and optimizing their mobility, stability, and strength. Your body is your greatest tool, and when you move better, you feel better, and you thrive. So head to movementgb.com, that's mvmtgb.com, to learn how we can help you stay active and pain-free for life. going on guys it's trevor with the green bay health project podcast and today we're sitting down and talking with courtney cowie a nutrition therapy practitioner a licensed body work therapist with a couple of other big degree certifications in there that i'm gonna let her talk about um but courtney thanks for taking some time and and talking with us i know i kind of secondhand got to hear the conversation with you and erica on the phone in the car ride (laughs) Totally. It was awesome. And Erica said at one point, she's like, we probably could have just recorded this phone conversation and just threw it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, after you guys had hung up, I looked at her. I was like, why did we not record that conversation? Cause that, it, it's ex- essentially what, you know, she was asking questions that I would have asked and you were kind of saying things where it's like, man, we could have, we should have just done it that way. I but know, that right? happens. Right. I mean, it's, you get people that think alike, and conversations just typically flow and you yeah. don't necessarily, I mean, who thinks to record it first of all, but oh, I know it's cool. It is. It totally is. And I'm pretty sure we can recreate it. Hopefully some of it at least. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your interesting background? Cause it's, it's pretty cool. And then I, I think it'll probably paint a picture as to what you're doing now and why you got into it. Yeah, sounds good. So I actually started my professional career out of college as a geological engineer of all things, which um, isn't a very well-known, you know, aspect of engineering, but kind of like civil engineering. And, um, you know, did that for a couple of years. At the time, um, I had completed this degree, put a lot of effort and expense, obviously, into my education thought, I don't know if this is going to be the best fit for me, but I want to give it a go. So I did for two years. Um, Parts of it were good. I got to work outside. But um, when I was in college, I went to UW-Madison for my Mm -hmm. undergraduate. I had had an experience of studying abroad in Japan for a year. And that actually came about through one of the exploratory, undecided, you know, engineering majors classes I took. And then when I went over to Japan, totally fell in love with the people, totally fell in love with the culture, had an amazing time. And I think at that time of my life coming out of school, I knew I wanted to give the engineering thing a go. But ultimately, when I felt like that just really wasn't um, matching with what I wanted professionally, I went back to school, uh, to graduate school, to try to pursue the Japan thing because that still was kind of like a little bug I had in me. Like, (laughs) I really want to see if maybe I can make a living out of this. Like, I didn't really know what I was going to do with that interest. But 
I landed at University of Washington, did their graduate studies program in um, Japan studies, they call their, their degree. And so it kind of gave me this generalized um, background, obviously, like competency in the language, general knowledge about, you know, a lot of aspects of Japan that could take you a number of paths. But ultimately, where I landed after that was working for the Department of the Defense, specifically in the Pentagon for about a couple years. That was really interesting work. Uh, I would say all of these different like stepping stones were interesting, like working as an engineer for a corporation was really interesting. Then going to work for the Pentagon was different, but interesting. And um, it was a very fast paced, stressful environment, very competitive. Um, coming from the Midwest, people didn't have a good work-life balance, a lot of you know, long days on the job and not a lot of time off and resting. So again, I kind of knew like, I don't think this is the type of work environment I'm going to love long term, but didn't really know where to go at that point. So I was kind of cruising along doing my thing. My life took a bit of a turn on the personal end where I ended up um, meeting my first husband. We had a child together. Unfortunately, that relationship dissolved pretty quickly. And then that led me to actually relocating back to Wisconsin with my son, who was about six to nine months old at the time, basically to be close to my family because this is where I'm from. This is where I grew up. And um, in a position where I worked for a short period of time with the state, but then um, that sort of went a different direction. And I ended up actually at this crossroads of my life. I sort of call it the perfect storm some of us hit when like things are falling apart on multiple fronts. But then looking back, you can sort of see there was probably divine guidance there, like guiding all of that and orchestrating it to take you on to the next phase or the next thing, right? So at that point, I, you know, had basically lost my job, was relocated back here, um, had the opportunity to really kind of for the first time consider like, if I could pursue something I really feel I resonate with and love, what would it be? And the answer was Chinese medicine at that point in time. And so you might be asking, well, why? There was a piece of the story I, I forgot to mention with the Japan experience. When I was over there, um, I had had a pretty profound experience with this Chinese medicine trained herbalist. She was originally from China, but very, very good with herbs. And I was having kind of the onset of some weird health stuff going on. And so she gave me these herbs to basically help with that. And I would say within a month, I saw dramatic improvement in a few aspects of of what was affecting me. So I thought, wow, this is crazy. Like, I know this isn't drugs. I'm super fascinated. What if what if people knew more about this, like where, where we're from, like, especially this was years ago, this wasn't prevalent, like medicine or knowledge, you know, so, so kind of fast forward to this period of time where I was back in Wisconsin trying to decide my next step. I decided to actually go back and retrain as a to become a body worker, but specializing in Chinese medicine-based bodywork therapy techniques. And so there was a school in Madison that was run by a Chinese um, acupuncturist who had come over from China in the 1990s. Super interesting dude. He had a great program. I enrolled, and then a year later, I was out and running with that. And so that was kind of my initial stepping stone into working in the field of health, specifically, I would say, you know, holistic approaches to the body and to helping people restore their health. 
Um, but that was kind of the beginning in a sense too, because from there I ended up, um, the next few years were difficult as you can imagine. I'm sure that you and Erica went through this too, Trevor, with your business. You're just, you're working a lot of hours. You're taking clients sometimes at times where you're tired, but you feel like you got to keep going just to build that momentum. Right. And I think it was a culmination of, you know, the, the situation of being a new single mom and, you know, raising my son, you know, and then building this business kind of all kind of came together. But then I also think there were a lot of background factors that were there that I wasn't aware of and my health started to really tank. And so at that time I felt like I woke up and it was just like one day I had a really bad stomach flu. I was like running to the bathroom multiple times a day. This actually went on day after day. And I started to try to troubleshoot it with stuff that I thought would work that I knew. Um, That sort of led me then to go start seeing some different functionally trained or holistically trained practitioners that were either um, nutritionists or just like functional medicine practitioners that maybe had come from the conventional side of things and trained and move over to the functional side of things. And some of these things were helpful, but I wasn't really getting to a place where I was seeing good stability or resolution in the GI symptoms I was having. And so, you know, at this point, I was definitely a few years into my bodywork practice and starting to go down the rabbit hole to help myself on some level. But then I had the the actual thought, you know, I could see myself doing this work. Like if I'm going to go and start amassing all this education and starting to learn some of these skills that I feel were missing and what I was looking for, for helping myself, like I want to be able to do this with people. So that actually led me down um, the path of becoming a certified nutrition therapy practitioner, which was my, my first kind of nutrition certification years ago. And that was awesome. And with that training, I was able to really get a good deep dive on you know, how the digestive system works, the immune system, the endocrine system, all those key systems that can get dysregulated in the body, as well as just looking deeply into, you know, diet and like, what is an optimal diet? How do we tweak diet based on different people and what they're presenting and what's going on with their symptoms and their gut? And so that was all super, super useful information. And I was taught how to do something called lingual neural testing, which was really cool that used kind of reflex points through the nervous system, um, basically putting a component like a, an herb or a supplement on the tongue and then using those taste bed bud receptors to kind of provide feedback as a practitioner, I could get a good read on, is this going to be helpful or not helpful for the person I'm trying to work with? So it was a great foundational starting point, And I still today use all of those like foundational skills. Then a few years after that, I actually took a different path, a little bit different path, but on the same route, I went on to get certified in what's called functional diagnostic nutrition, which was deep into kind of the root cause testing piece of it. And that was, to me, really, really essential because as I got deeper and deeper into the work, I started to see more clients that had, I would felt like a more complex presentation. Like I knew just doing lingual neural testing may or may not get to the core of what was going on and and what I might suggest based on that might help, but there might be some things we're missing too. And that led me to want to go and investigate and do, do deeper root cause testing. And so that was sort of where I went secondarily and kind of brings me full circle to, uh, to the present day. Um, essentially what I, what I'm up to these days is combining kind of those two 
paths in nutrition and functional medicine to do root cause testing, take a really deep look at people's diet. Um, you know, I have got a lot of coaching and just sort of like lifestyle skill, um, you know, coaching experience that I kind of bring to bear to help people really reclaim their health if they are wanting to in a natural way that's getting them hopefully away from medications and giving them an alternative to conventional medicine. So, and I still do the body work as well, <laughs> kind of all of that, but I, I mean, I love the body work, but nutrition is really probably my, my biggest passion and that's the area I'm really, really focused on right now. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's super important, especially with um, like the American diet these yeah. days, all the fast food, all the processed food, all the, I mean, Erica and I were talking, um, just about our grandparents, like, uh, over the weekend or something like that. And like the age that they are living to and how well they're still doing. And then yeah. like the age of people now. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was kind of sitting back and I was like, you know, my, my grandparents had like beer every day. Like they've, they've drink two, three beers, but, um, the quality of food back then I think was so different Yeah. that they shoot that generation is just, I mean, it's a different mindset across the board, but I think the nutrition side of things has completely changed. Would you agree? Disagree? I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. And I, I feel like to the point you're speaking about with your grandparents, like, their habits might not have been um, as good as maybe some of the more educated amongst us. Like I think most of us in the health space know like too much alcohol, inflammatory, right? You can even argue alcohol is inflammatory to begin with. Same thing with like smoking, right? But mm -hmm. you hear these stories of these people of that generation that like drank and they smoked and they still live to like 91 or 92. Right. And I think one of the bigger things that's happened, especially over the last 20 to 30 years is that, you know, the they had more... I think leeway or they could take more liberty with their diet and those vices didn't have as deep an impact on them as they do on the generation of today yeah. simply because our environment collectively is full of more toxic substances and chemicals. Like we're getting bombarded on a daily basis by things that didn't really exist at the level that they do today back then. And so I think if you just look at what our bodies can handle in terms of like detoxification and, you know, clean input versus like toxic input, I mean, you're seeing this balance shift so much more dramatically now because we, you know, try as we might, you have to try really hard, I think, to avoid some of these things like glyphosate roundup is a perfect example of that. Like, even if you buy organic, my feeling is you're still going to get trace amounts of it because it's so pervasive in the, the runoff of the groundwater. I mean, it gets everywhere, you know, like it's avoidance can actually get you quite far, but I think it takes a real, um, conscious, like, consciousness to do it right and then obviously some education around it to know like wow these things are out there and mm -hmm. they can have an impact on my health right for sure and i think also if you, you kind of compare generations and whatnot they were way more active oh yeah um, up moving around like so yeah. many differences that i'm sure we could just go down rabbit holes on but totally. <laughs> totally just the technology component not being there is a huge win for them too right right, right. yeah yeah, yeah it, it's just so different um so you, you work with a lot of people on like GI stuff, right? Yep. Yep. I, I mean, we've had a few people on talking about gut health and whatnot. It's, it's honestly one of the things that I'm really interested in. It's personal interest. So every time I talk with people like you, it's, I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> and so the first thing I want, I'm curious about 
that I want you to get more, give more info on. And then what you kind of see people present like is something like a leaky gut. What yeah. might cause it? What might deal with it? Because I think it's more common um, oh, yeah. nowadays. I could totally. be wrong, but uh, there's there's one end here, and then we'll go another direction later on. But yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Trevor. So leaky gut, yeah, it's a biggie. So many root causes. Um, I'll start off by saying I think, I'll you know. I absolutely embrace epigenetics and I tell people, you know, the thing that's kind of unfortunate about genetics, if you look at it, is some of us are going to unfortunately be more primed to have certain genes express if they're triggered, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think with the people that are chronically ill, especially with like gut symptomology, I do think unfortunately that's a component where probably out of the gate they had these tendencies, whether it was like celiac genes that they didn't know about or some sort of like you know, just presentation there that with the wrong foods or the right, you could say the right inflammatory foods get triggered. And so um, there's that component, but I also feel like there's the component of, again, kind of back to diet, what are people eating? And what's interesting about this whole piece is that um, most of us as kids have pretty good health. Like I would argue our health is at its best when we're children, but that doesn't mean that the diet we were fed as a kid that was like, you know, part of the standard American diet growing up. I mean, I can speak for myself. We had a lot of wheat bread in our house. We had a lot of peanut butter. We had a lot of packaged foods, right? And I think just the working knowledge of people, um, even as of like 10, 20, 30 years ago, is wasn't quite as evolved as it is now. And so you have to think about just that foundation that was set from early childhood into adulthood of all those years of eating whatever foods you grew up on. Absolutely, over time, if they're inflammatory foods, can start to um, create inflammation and, and like lead to less diversity in the microbiome and just start to shift the whole scene in a more inflammatory direction. Then you add things like rounds of antibiotics to that, Trevor, <laughs> like, which is, again, what most of us grew up with contending with unless you had very, very holistic-minded parents who were super educated and like, knew about that. But, you know, like growing up, I think a lot of the majority of doctors, as I remember just from my own experience, it's like if they'd put you on an antibiotic, they would never say, oh, go get a really high-quality probiotic and like make sure you take that offset, right? And then there's the whole fact that even with a probiotic, those antibiotics do, you know, unfortunately – in a lot of cases, unreversible damage. I mean, you can offset some of that with probiotics, but I just think like the more rounds that you take in as a child and adult, the more it's going to push your system in an imbalanced way and create like the perfect situation for leaky gut to show up. So, you know, you combine that with um, processed foods and inflammatory foods in the diet. I think that's a big piece of it. And then the third piece that really plays a role, and this is where I, I, kind of got down the rabbit hole um, with especially root cause testing is just toxic exposure and toxicities. And mm. so, and this sometimes goes right back to the genetic potential because an area that I work with a lot that I'm sort of specialized in is mold toxicity. And so there's like a good quarter of the population that has this potential if they're under the right stressors to have greater problems detoxifying mold from, you know, water living and working in water damaged buildings. And so if you happen to be that type of individual, you have no clue. And then over time you've developed these symptoms and you might've had the antibiotics, you might've had the crappy diet at some point in time, then you get something like mold come in. It's just this perfect storm for like 
havoc in the gut. And it can sometimes take a lot of work to try to unlayer those things to bring gut health back online. But I guess in saying all this, I would also say that all of these things kind of tie together. Like the more you can clean up and get your diet to a place that's not inflammatory for you, the more you can avoid toxic exposure, the more you can avoid um, destructive things like antibiotics that are going to take out a good chunk of bacteria in the gut, the better it's going to protect you against all of those other factors. So if you're, for example, mold susceptible, if you, if you were a person who grew up with less antibiotic exposure or no antibiotic exposure, there's less likelihood that you're going to have those mold susceptibility mm -hmm. genes express and have that become a problem. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. it's like you start to see these patterns where people have sort of been through this perfect storm of influences and then they've got these inherent inborn capacities that get triggered and now they're dealing with this like chronic problem that's difficult to resolve, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That stuff yeah. is so interesting. And then on the um, other side, you can have like a bacterial overgrowth, right? Totally. Totally. SIBO? Totally. What's, oh, yeah. what's that? Talk about that. Just a yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. So small intestinal bacteria overgrowth or SIBO is the acronym we use. So that's thought to be um, part of up to like three quarters of all IBS diagnoses and same percentage of autoimmune disease. And what's crazy about that is like even autoimmune disease that doesn't necessarily have a strong gut component like rheumatoid arthritis still almost always has SIBO underlying it. And so there's a lot of viewpoints in the field of functional medicine about that. I personally have found that it's always a factor that I look for and I consider as part of a plan. I might write a, a client when I've kind of done a, a good comprehensive gut analysis, but I don't believe that SIBO itself is the rock bottom factor of the problem. Does that make sense, Trevor? Mm -hmm. So I always feel like it's coming about secondarily because of, you know, maybe a parasite this person picked up or, um, I mean, obviously there's food poisoning derived SIBO, which can be often just an immune activation. But then if we do, you know, if we check the gut and we do what we're supposed to do to bring things into balance, the SIBO will often then resolve. A lot of times I see it secondary to, again, like toxicities, like heavy metal or mold or something like that. And, you know, it's one of those where it can be incredibly difficult to, to basically um, resolve completely because two thirds of cases of SIBO are thought to be chronic, which means that oh, wow. if you can treat it successfully, that person will find some relief, but then mm -hmm. eventually it'll come back. And then that can range from a few weeks to a few months, depending on the person. And so sometimes you do the work you can, and you try to really look for those deeper causes beyond the SIBO. But, um, Sometimes the truth is you have to basically kind of eat a diet that's modified to keep that SIBO more contained or keep it at bay or at least um, keep it from coming back as frequently. So it's it's a tricky, tricky thing. But I would say that I've not had great success eradicating or helping somebody eradicate SIBO simply just going as far as the SIBO. Like we almost always have to look a little deeper than that first and then work on those aspects and then circle back to the SIBO. Or if we're working on addressing the SIBO, we're usually doing it co-simultaneous to some other factor that we found that's relevant that very much would drive and explain the SIBO. So that's a that's a very hot topic mm -hmm. <laughs> as of the last few years in functional medicine. Yeah. Yeah. You hear it, you're here talked about a lot, but I, you gave actually a perfect segue. Um, so when somebody comes to you then, what does the yep. testing look like? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so yeah, so 
I'll tell you this, like not everybody needs the same testing out of the gate because everybody's a little bit different, even in the gut and autoimmune world, which is generally the people that I'm working with. Right. So normally when someone, you know, reaches out and they're like, Hey, I'm really interested. Like, what would this look like? I always do what's called an initial consult, which is a bit of a like deeper, longer information gathering session. It's kind of the first, you could say like real session a person would do if they were beyond beyond the like exploratory phase and we've just connected on a brief phone call. Like we will go into this initial consult. And so what I'll have that um, prospective client do is take something called a nutrition assessment questionnaire, which is a pretty long questionnaire that I've used forever as a nutrition therapy practitioner that gives me a lot of information around all systems of the body, all symptoms they might be having and helps me kind of discern, okay, What's showing here is high priority. Secondarily, I'll have them do um, a health history questionnaire, which goes into more of the mind and the lifestyle and the relationships and the financial, like all these different components that could be also creating stress or some sort of impact. And so I collate all that. And there's a bit of a like quantitative aspect to this too, where there's like scoring involved. So I can literally tangibly show them like a graph and it's like, look at how high the score is in this area. Like this is pretty compelling. And so based off of that, I start to get a pretty good understanding baseline of what I think is going on. And that helps me guide which tests I'm going to recommend because sometimes right out of the gate, I'll have a person where I'm looking at all of their, their information. I'm kind of looking at how the scoring's falling out. And I'm thinking to myself, holy crap, I think this person has a toxic burden. Like we might need to do this testing right out of the gate with this person versus someone else might come in and I'm looking at their presentation and I'm thinking, I don't think it's toxicity. I definitely think there's something going on deeper with the gut, whether that's a parasite or this is bacterial overgrowth or, you know, candida, whatever, right? Like we, we should definitely do that, but I don't think we need to go to toxin testing. We'll see how, you know, cause part of my job is to be very, um, economical and thinking about it from the, the pot- potential client end too, and sort of think through, okay, I don't want to throw the kitchen sink at them because that gets really costly. And, you know, they're making an investment. I want it to be a sound investment. We're going to get good data that'll lead us somewhere productive, but I try to really limit testing to no more than three tests out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, normally I'm then thinking through, okay, I don't really think this is part of it, or I do think this is part of it and kind of adjudicating, you know, which tests am I going to select from the, the, you know, the options available to me. So that's sort of how that looks like in the very beginning. Yeah, that's important. I think testing, you can't just treat, I mean, we know it too. You can't treat everybody the exact same. And then you get into the gut side of things. And I can't even imagine all the differences in like each one of us going on inside the gut. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I think that the testing incredibly important to, to kind of come up with a game plan then moving forward, right. um, but you have hard objective data to work on. 100%. And it's, it's really been fascinating as I've gotten into, especially comprehensive stool testing, because I can use that to feed even more deeply mm. into my dietary and nutritional recommendations, because now I'm actually seeing like, holy crap, like this is, they've got to, they're not producing enough pancreatic enzymes, for example, or, you know, we've got bacterial insufficiency in this case, like what does that mean? Right. And so it's great from that perspective, you can get more customized, more dialed in, have just a deeper 
I would say your your intuition, your understanding gets deeper. I mean, you're not going to hit the nail on the head every single time, but it gets much, much more likely to be accurate when you have that data. And then you compare that with what you know based on their symptoms or what you know based on dietary approaches that work for this particular condition, right? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then you, so, so moving from there, you have a couple of, and correct me if I'm wrong, different programs? Yep that you mm-hmm. kind of offer? Is that, I mean, individual group stuff? How does that all work and look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So right now I'm basically doing um, just one-on-one individual program work. Mm-hmm. I might down the road, make it more of a small group um, type of style, but I think for the nature of, of the person I tend to be attracting mm-hmm. for one, again, because there's so many complexities and sometimes um you know, like aspects of trauma or just stress going on. Like, I I feel like it's, it's a pretty safe way to do it where they're basically, you know, signing on, they've got me the whole way through, you know, I'm a pretty small practice as of right now. And so it's very intimate that way. And I really do get to know them and kind of we're, we're working together directly one-on-one. Um, the program in and of itself, or the programs, I should say, they're both three-month programs. And I, I initially wanted to, you know, scale it in a way that would feel, doable for most people with the understanding that this type of approach does take time. Like if we just did it for a month, that's not enough time really to get anywhere and get resolution for the majority of people. But if you say, Hey, like sign on for six months, like that can be overwhelming, right? For people sometimes. So, so it's a three month type of program. And then, um, I've got two programs I run. One is a little bit more gut specific, more, um, attuned to like the IBS and IBD world. Mm. The other one is more for like autoimmune disease, or I would say inflammation in general, where it's kind of like, um, a bit more focused on kind of like inflammation in the body. I mean, I would argue the principles are very, very similar in both. It's just the language in terms mm-hmm. of the symptom expression that I'm kind of using to speak to each person. So, okay. yeah. Cool. Um, you, you brought, you mentioned that IBS, IBD, how common is that? And I mean, I know people that have it, that really struggle with it. Oh yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm thinking of a couple of people off the top of my head and kind of them are, they're, they're all like, you know, I've been, I've tried this, I've tried that. I'm kind of over trying because nothing works. Yeah. When somebody says something like that, what goes through your head? Because to me, I'm like a, I'm a solution finder. I'm like, there's always, there's something like you there's just got to keep digging. So I'm yeah. curious to, to ask you that question. Yeah, it's a it's an awesome question. I know because it's it can be tricky when you're on the the side of being sort of the expert, so to speak, and someone's putting up resistance right off the bat, and they're like, "Well, I already tried that, or I've tried everything already, mm-hmm. right?" Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my approach is always, "Hey, you know, tell me about what you've tried first of all." And a lot of times, this is what's coming up in in my free gut check call, which is sort of the intro call I'll do with a prospective client, because I really want to ascertain, like does this person know enough to really have tried it all? And do they really understand what could and could not be impacting or helping their situation? So that helps me kind of get a clear sense of, okay, where have you been? What have you tried? And then if I see a lot of opportunity there for helping them and I can see there's like either knowledge gaps or even nutritional, like they haven't gone deep enough with their nutritional knowledge to like tune their diet to, to help themselves, right? Then I'll say, hey, you know, like, 
I believe that there are things I can offer you that you haven't come upon yet. Or, you know, if you've worked with other practitioners, I'll sometimes ask very specifically, like, did this person have you keep a food journal and look at that in detail and provide you with very specific feedback in a way that was like very step by step by step. And you, you were able to implement like systematic changes. And if they're like, no, then I'm like, okay, there's an opportunity right there. Because mm -hmm. especially with IBS and IBD, yes, we always want to do testing if possible. Comprehensive stool testing is like almost essential, I would say, in those cases. And we want to get the data. But I would argue in my experience, it's actually getting the diet dialed in for these people that's going to give them the most relief, the quickest. Because let's say we did a test and we found a parasite, we found some SIBO going on. Mm -hmm. It's still going to take me three months, most likely, maybe more to address all that. And so, and the gut will continue to deal with that inflammatory load from those added foods that they're having reactions and sensitivities to versus if we can dial right into the diet and I can help hone that with them right away, we can take some of those burdens and inflammatory loads out on the food end while we're bringing in these like, you know, um, pathogen eradication substances, whether they're herbs or whatever, right, to help. And then over time, we'll see this like, hopefully beautiful shift where they're going to a better direction and those symptoms are starting to dissipate and disappear. But I mean, I come up against so many myths when it comes to diet or just very, <laughs> you know, dogmatic thoughts. And I'm just like, how do you know for sure that that's actually true though? And how do you know for sure that following that strategy is going to help you? You know, and it's, it's, you have to be careful because you don't want to necessarily like, you know, um, put somebody in an awkward position, but I think it's difficult in our world because we do know a lot, you know, whether we're talking about the movement, physical therapy end or the nutrition end, like you have to kind of like sometimes use like that questioning process to get people to say like, oh yeah, I guess that's true. I never considered that before. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then when they do that, you're like, yep. All right. Yeah. <laughs> now it's world because we got there. Totally. Now, now we, now we move forward. Yeah. Um, I just, I hear so many people that talk about that and they just don't think that there's anything they can do. And well, yeah, I think it's hard and it's also hard work, right? I mean, you talked about dialing in the diet for at least three months to me in the head, in my head, I'm like, shoot, three months. Like you can do anything for three months. You totally like, can. That's not a long time. Right. And, uh, but, but I think like thinking of lifestyle factors and how people like to eat people are stubborn and selfish they don't want to change anything yeah. they just want to get better yeah <laughs> which totally. is just not going to happen um yeah but I, I think it's it's the buy-in and then it's the accountability and follow-through on, on that stuff yeah, it definitely is, Trevor. Like, I just had a few thoughts come up as you're talking, and I'm sure you've been in this position before too. Like, sometimes you even get clients that have been to other PTs or they've mm -hmm. been to other, you know, mm -hmm. functional medicine, nutritional practitioners. And then you have to really ask, like, okay, did the approach you were offered, um, do I see gaps in that, right? Mm -hmm. And I can actually maybe fill this in a way that hasn't been done before and this could work for you, right? Mm -hmm. So that can be um, sometimes a little bit of a challenging conversation, but I think it's, it's I've found a lot of opportunity that way with with people who have not had that type of comprehensive support that mm -hmm. that hopefully they should have right but then to your point too um about just the diet in three months like I completely agree I mean I think 
having a supportive network is always ideal, right? Like you would hope that they've got at least one or two friends or family members that are a little bit more health oriented that are, you know, willing to, if they've got a spouse, they're willing to go along with the changes. I mean, that can be hard Massive. In a family, if you've got adult children or even little children that don't, you know, they're just super picky or your spouse is like, well, I'm not going to do this. You know, I mean, I, I still will work with somebody in that position. I feel like they, they need someone, right? It's just that then usually I'll become the primary kind of coach or guide or supporter. And, you know, they just have to have very, very strong willpower to kind of stay the course. But I mean, I agree with you. I think we live in a society where things are very convenient and we can on demand get what we want. And, you know, having drugs at our disposal to like literally take a headache away within minutes, <laughs> it's hard to compete with that when you know that true long-term solutions, they don't work like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's just, that's where the educational part is, is key. I think the yeah. more we can educate, the more we can do stuff like this to talk to people and they hear it and the more they hear it, the more they start to buy in, the more they buy in, the more they're willing to do it. I mean, it's a process sometimes, you know, from making the first connection to somebody actually walking through your door. Yeah. But, but then I think that point where, you know, they've tried this or tried that and it's like, well, why try this now? Right. And what's different? It's like that without that education or anything like that, it's, it's not going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Cool. I mean, is there anything else you want us to know about what you got going on? Yeah, well, I think maybe just the the one thing that might be of interest is um, I do have a brick and mortar location in Nina, which is actually an office out of my home um, that I do body work. And I do actually have nutrition clients come if they want to. But okay. the other thing just to note is that most of my nutritional work is, is telehealth based. Oh, nice. So that's been really nice just with the shift we've seen in the last couple of years. And, um, it's been interesting for me to adjust to that too, but in some ways it, it is really great just with the technology on zoom. Like you can literally put test results up on your screen and share it. And it's, mm -hmm a little easier than having to like literally turn your computer screen <laughs> when someone's sitting across from you in the room and be like, okay, can you see the screen while we're both looking at it? You know, like, <laughs> which, which I can totally do, but that's, so it's definitely for um, people looking for the convenience of getting, you know, so having to wanting mm -hmm. to do the work, but maybe not having to travel to do the work. Like mm -hmm. it is a nice, um, a nice piece, I think. So oh, that's, that's really nice. And yeah, can, like you said, convenient. I mean, mm -hmm. people, Shoot, they want help, but they aren't always willing to get up and go do it. Right. <laughs> so now, now you take that whole equation out of it. And especially, so, yeah, so especially, like, especially in the winter and days like today, right? Where the right. roads aren't great. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, where, actually, we'll, we'll get there. Um, I've got a few more questions that we'll kind of end with, and then I'll get um, ways that people can contact you. Okay. So, you ready? I'm ready. I'm, I'm curious to hear this. What's your favorite? Um, let's keep it on topic. What's your favorite gut health related book? Oh, that's a really great question. My favorite gut health related book. Or functional, or like nutritional functional book. Or anything yeah. Like um, you know what? I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to give you um, one of the practitioners that I followed more closely in the last few years, not as much anymore is, um, 
Michael Ruscio, and he's a naturopath who specializes in fixing the gut, and he's got like a healthy gut, healthy you book, which I think is actually pretty good. And the reason why I'm picking that is because um, there's elements to his principal way of operating that really resonate with me, which is like, don't overtest, do things in a logical sequential order and just go through that process. And if you're not seeing a good response, that'll lead you to the next thing you need to look at. But it's a very measured, moderated, not overly costly or overly involved approach, which is which is kind of how I practice too. But there's a lot of great just like principles in that book. And I mean, because I like him as a practitioner, I bought it a couple of years ago and read it. I was like, this is a good book actually. So mm-hmm. that's the one that came up when you asked that question. Yeah, no, I like that. I've, I've read that as well. And it's just, it's a good read. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I probably read it a couple years back now too. I should revisit that. But um, now that you said that, um, cool. What is like your favorite activity to do within like, obviously you're down in Nina, so we can say Fox Valley or Green Bay. Yeah. Dark County. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, my answer to that one is salsa dancing, believe it or not. And it's the first time somebody has ever said that. I bet. (laughs) I bet. And I don't make it up to Green Bay a lot, but it's funny because you guys have a Green Bay ballroom up there, which I've discovered the last couple of months. Like they have a little bit more of a Latin dancing lean to them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, this is so ironic. Like if I want more salsa dancing, I actually have to drive to Green Bay versus like Appleton and Nina. I mean, we have it here (laughs) too, but not, it's not quite as like in that vein as it is up there so yeah yeah. cool yeah that's the first time anybody has said that that's awesome (laughs) it's like a niche niche hobby area but it's so fun and i'm glad it's growing in our area yeah yeah that's cool we um erica actually has a a couple people that um do ballroom dancing and stuff like that too so it's it's pretty cool it's cool to hear about um and then lastly what would be uh, a piece of advice you'd give to somebody looking to either change in some more healthy lifestyle, build habits, where do you think they should start? Yeah. So I think starting with carving out at least 10 minutes to breathe every day. Mm. That's, that's, I'm a big, big fan of like breathing. And usually I tell people like I'm structured, I'm organized. Not everybody is that way, but usually I tell people do it in the morning or do it right before bed because those are the bookends of your day. And those are usually the time frames you can control a little bit more. And if you tack it on to an activity that you already do, like say brush your teeth or some other routine, mm-hmm. yep. you're my, more likely to build that habit. That's a little tip from James Clear, Atomic Habits, another yeah, favorite book, book of mine. Totally book. Totally <laughs> great say, book. You're it? talking about habit stacking right yeah, now. That's awesome. Habit stacking. It's a little, little tip for all of you who <laughs> haven't read that book. It's awesome though. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, and just start with five if, if 10 doesn't seem doable, but I feel like everybody needs better nervous system regulation, especially parasympathetic side of the nervous system support and breathing is one of the easiest, fast ways to do it. And guarantee you, if a person were to start a 10 minute breathing practice every day, it's going to become more top of mind when they feel themselves getting triggered or stressed during the day and just even doing a minute or two, right? Like I think it could really build into a very effective self-regulation tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that would be my my starting point or my best tip. I like it. And I like how you um, mentioned the bookends of the day. Like I think that was important to hear. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Courtney, where can people go to learn more about you, to contact you, what you got? 
Yeah. So I've got a website. Very easy to remember. It's just my name, www.courtneycowie.com. Um, that'll show you kind of the body work and the nutrition side. And then I'm on pretty much every major social media channel. So um, you can friend me on my personal Facebook. I kind of use that as a venue for doing my promotion and education and marketing. And then I do have a business Facebook page as well. My um, social media tags would be Courtney Cowie NTP in all the cases. And so Instagram, TikTok, same thing. So I've kind of got, kind of got it all. Yeah. TikTok too, which is like interesting, (laughs) little different group of people, I think like hanging out on TikTok, but it's good. It's good. They're all like very interesting to kind of be on and, you know, see what happens. So, yeah, we haven't ventured to that, but, um, Caitlin, our client care coordinator, coordinator, thinks we should multiple people have told us we should but you know like uh, it's, yeah. it's just one other thing i don't know yeah <laughs> it's it's i'm very like i don't do anything different i mean it's pretty much the same type of video or posting on all of them so it's mm-hmm. it's easy for me but i will tell you that i've had at least a handful of people when they do reach out direct message will be like i found you on tiktok but then nice. they'll eventually go to instagram to like oh, message yeah. me so <laughs> i'm like well at least that was the first connection so that was worth it right so mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys might want to think about that. Just awesome. throw it up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> great. Cool. Yeah, and we'll be sure to uh, link to all of your uh, your website and your channel so that everyone listening can just kind of click on it and be directed right there. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Courtney, thank you. This was a ton of information, which is always good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you kind of walk away thinking, like, kind of like internally – viewing yourself and your habits like after stuff like this so i appreciate that i appreciate you uh hopping on for a little bit to talk oh thank you so much for the opportunity it's always a pleasure and i hope this is helpful for everyone listening oh there's no doubt no doubt it will be awesome well thank you again trevor yep thank you and uh we'll talk with you guys later all right if you would like more information about us at movement performance and rehab or information on one of our guests or if you have a contact that would be a good guest for this podcast, please send us an email at info at mvmtgb.com. That's info at movementgb.com.